welcome to Fast Asleep. Thank you so much for joining us again. I hope you're here for a good night's sleep. And I hope you realize that just silly sounds don't do it. We want to involve you in a wonderful author's masterpiece. Because with something of that quality, you're going to get sucked into that thing. And before you know it, you will fall asleep fast asleep. And that's okay, because you can always finish the story in the morning. Now, as we've said on this podcast before, Stephen Crane died too early. Yes. He crammed a great deal into his life, though. He was the ninth-born child of Methodist parents. Ooh, that sounds a little bit familiar. Um, A very active fraternity boy. Not so much a great scholar a reporter, a writer, and a war correspondent. Yeah, he'd received international acclaim for his Civil War novel, and I know you know it, The Red Badge of Courage. Yeah, early, early on. Already considered an important figure in American literature, Stephen Crane died in Germany of tuberculosis at the very young age of 28. Well, we have enjoyed his quirky The Bride Comes to Yellow Sky in one of our earlier episodes. It may even been over two episodes. I don't recall. Scroll back. Listen to it or them. You'll enjoy it. But for our next two episodes, we've brought you another strange crane tale. Quirky best describes it. So tuck in, everybody tuck in. This one's a little chilly too. And enjoy the Blue Hotel. The palace at Fort Romper was painted a light blue, a color of blue found on the legs of a certain bird that makes it bright in any surroundings. The Palace Hotel then looked always loud and screaming in a way that made the bright winter scenes of Nebraska seem only a dull gray. It stood alone, and when the snow was falling, the town, 200 yards away, could not be seen. When a traveler came from the railroad station, he was obliged to pass the Palace Hotel before he came to the group of low houses, which was Fort Romper. It was believed that no traveler could pass the Palace Hotel without looking at it. Pat Scully, the hotel owner, had proved himself a master at choosing paints. It is true that on clear days when the long lines of trains swept through Fort Romper, passengers were surprised at the sight. Those that knew the brown reds and the dark greens of the eastern part of the country laughingly expressed shame, pity, (laughs) shock. But to the citizens of this western town and to the people who stopped there, 
Pat Scully had performed a wonder. As if the displayed delights of such a blue hotel were not sufficiently inviting, Scully went every morning and evening to meet the trains that stopped at Romper. He would express greetings and welcome to anyone he might see hesitating. One morning, when a snow-covered engine dragged its long string of cars to the station, Scully performed the marvelous trick of catching three men. One was a shaky and quick-eyed Swede with a great shiny, cheap bag. One was a tall, sun-browned cowboy who was on his way to a job near the Dakota border. One was a little, silent man from the East Coast who didn't look like it and didn't announce it. Scully practically made them prisoners. He was so quick and merry and kindly that each probably thought it would be cruel to try to escape. So they followed the eager little man. He wore a heavy fur cap pulled tightly down on his head. (laughs) It caused his two red ears to stand out stiffly as if they were made of tin. At last, Scully grandly conducted them through the door of the Blue Hotel. The room which they entered was small. It was occupied mostly by a huge stove in the center, which was burning with great force. At various points on its surface, the iron had become shiny and glowed yellow from the heat. Beside the stove, Scully's son, Johnny, was playing a game of cards with a farmer, (laughs) and they were quarreling. With loud words, Scully stopped their play and hurried his son upstairs with the bags of the new guests. He himself led them to three bowls of icy water. The cowboy and the Easterner washed themselves in this water until they were as red as fire. The Swede, however merely placed his fingers in the bowl. It was noticeable throughout these proceedings that the three travelers were made to feel that Scully was very kind indeed. He was giving out great favors. Afterward, they returned to the first room. There, sitting about the stove, they listened to Scully shouting at his daughters who were preparing the noon meal. They employed the silence of experienced men who moved carefully among new people. The Swede was especially silent. He seemed to be occupied in making secret judgments of each man in the room. One might have thought that he had this sense of foolish fear which accompanies guilt. He looked like a badly frightened man. Later, at dinner, he spoke a little, directing his conversation entirely to Scully. He said that he had come from New York, where he had worked for ten years as a suit maker. These facts seemed to interest Scully, 
and afterward he told that he had lived at Romper for 14 years. The Swede asked about the crops and the price of labor. He seemed hardly to listen to Scully's lengthy replies. His eyes continued to wander from man to man. Finally, with a laugh, he said, he said that some of these western towns were very dangerous. And after this declaration, he straightened his legs under the table, nodded his head, and laughed again, loudly. It was plain. This had no meaning to the others. They looked at him, wondering, and in silence. After dinner, it was decided to play a game of cards. The cowboy offered to play with Johnny, and they all turned to ask the Swede to play with the little Easterner. The Swede asked some questions about the game, learning that it wore many names and that he had played it under another name. He accepted the invitation. He came toward the men nervously, as though he expected to be attacked. Finally, seated, he looked from face to face and laughed sharply. This laugh was so strange that the Easterner looked up quickly. The cowboy sat with his mouth open, and Johnny paused, holding the cards with still fingers. Afterward, there was a short silence. Then, Johnny said, Well, let's begin. Come on now. They pulled their chairs forward until their knees touched under the table. They began to play, and their interest in the game caused the others to forget the strange ways of the Swede. And suddenly, the Swede spoke to Johnny. I suppose there has been a good many men killed in this room. The mouths of the others dropped open. And they looked at him. What are you talking about? said Johnny. The Swede laughed again, his loud laugh, full of a kind of false courage. Oh, you know what I mean, all right, he answered. <laughs> I don't, Johnny protested. The card game stopped, and the men stared at the Swede. Johnny evidently felt that, as the son of the hotel owner, he should make a direct inquiry. Now, what are you trying to say? He asked. The Swede's fingers shook on the edge of the table. Oh, maybe you think I haven't been anywhere. Maybe you think I don't have any experience. I, I don't know anything about you, answered Johnny. And I don't care where you've been. I just don't know what you're trying to say. Nobody has ever been killed in this room. Now the cowboy, who had been steadily gazing at the Swede, then spoke. Oh, what's wrong with you, fella? Apparently it seemed to the Swede that he was powerfully threatened. He trembled and turned pale near the corners of his mouth. He sent an appealing glance in the direction of the little Easterner. 
They say I don't know what I mean, he remarked bitterly to the Easterner. The latter answered after a long and careful thought. I don't understand you, he said calmly. The Swede made a movement then which announced that he thought he had met attack from the only place where he had expected sympathy, if not help. Hmm, I see that you're all against me. I see. The cowboy felt as though he had lost his senses. Say, he cried, as he threw the cards fiercely down upon the table. Say, what are you trying to do? The Swede jumped up. Oh, I don't want to fight, he shouted. I don't want to fight. The cowboy stretched his long legs slowly and carefully. His hands were in his pockets. Well, who thought you did? He inquired. The Swede moved rapidly back toward a corner of the room. His hands were out protectingly in front of his chest, but he was making an apparent struggle to control his fright. Gentlemen, he almost whispered this, I suppose I am going to be killed before I can leave this house. A door opened and Scully himself entered. Ooh, he paused in surprise as he noted the terror-filled eyes of the Swede, and then he said, Oh, what's the matter here? The Swede answered him quickly and eagerly. These men are going to kill me. Uh, kill you, shouted Scully. Kill you all? What are you talking about? The Swede put out his hands helplessly. Scully turned upon his son. What is this, Johnny? The lad had become ill-tempered. I don't know, he answered. It doesn't make any sense to me. And he began to pick up the cards, gathering them together angrily. He says a good many men have been killed in this room, or something like that. And he says he's going to be killed here, too. I don't know what's wrong with him. He's probably crazy. Scully then looked for explanation to the cowboy, but the cowboy simply shook his head. Kill you? said Scully again to the Swede. Kill you. Man, you're crazy. Oh, I know, burst out the Swede. I know what will happen. Yes, I'm crazy. Yes, of course, I'm crazy. Yeah, I know one thing. And there was suffering and terror upon his face. I know I won't get out of here alive. Scully turned suddenly and faced his son. Oh, you've been troubling this man. Johnny's voice was loud with its burden of undeserved blame. Oh, good God, I haven't done anything to him. The Swede broke in. Gentlemen, do not trouble yourselves. I will leave this house. I will go away because, he blamed them with his glance, because I do not want to be killed. You will not go away, said Scully. You will not go away until I hear the reason for this business. Now, if anybody has troubled you, I will take care of him. This is my house. You're under my roof, and I will not allow any peaceful man to be troubled here. And he looked 
threateningly at Johnny and the cowboy and the Easterner. Don't, Mr. Scully, don't. I will go away. I do not want to be killed. The Swede moved toward the door, which opened to the stairs. It was evidently his intention to go at once for his bag. No, no, shouted Scully commandingly. But the pale-faced man slipped by him and disappeared. Now, Scully said angrily to the others, what does this mean? Johnny and the cowboy cried together, why, we didn't do anything to him. Scully's eyes were cold. No, he said, you didn't. Johnny repeated his words. Why, this is the wildest madman I ever saw. We didn't do anything at all. We were just sitting here playing cards, and he... The father suddenly spoke to the Easterner. What have these boys been doing? The Easterner thought again. Hmm, I didn't see anything wrong at all, he said at last, slowly. Scully began to shout. Oh, but what does it mean? He stared fiercely at his son. I ought to beat you for this, my boy. Oh, Johnny was wild. Well, what have I done? He screamed at his father. I think you're tongue-tied, said Scully, finally to his son, the cowboy, and the Easterner. And at the end of this sentence, he left the room. Upstairs, the Swede was closing his bag. His back was half turned to the door, and hearing a noise there, he turned and jumped up uttering a loud cry. Scully's face was frightening in the light of the small lamp he carried. This yellow shine streaming upward left his eyes in deep shadows. He looked like a murderer. Man, man, exclaimed Scully. Have you gone mad? Oh, no. Oh, no, answered the other. There are people in this world who know nearly as much as you do. You understand? <sighs> For a moment, they stood gazing at each other. And then Scully placed the light on the table and sat himself on the edge of the bed. He spoke slowly. I never heard of such a thing in my life. It's a complete mystery. I can't think how you ever got this idea into your head. Then Scully lifted his eyes and asked, And did you really think they were going to kill you? The Swede looked at the old man as if he wished to see into his mind. I did, he said at last. He apparently thought that this answer might cause an attack. As he worked on his bag, his whole arm shook, the elbow trembling like a bit of paper. Having finished with his bag, the Swede straightened himself. Mr. Scully, he said with a sudden courage, how much do I owe you? <laughs> you don't owe me anything said the old man, a bit angrily. Yes, I do, 
answered the Swede. He took some money from his pocket and held it out to Scully, but the latter moved his hand away in firm refusal. I won't take your money, said Scully. Not after what's been happening here. And then a plan seemed to come to him. Here, he cried, picking up his lamp and moving toward the door. Here, come with me a minute. Oh, no, said the Swede in great alarm. Yes, urged the old man. Come on, I want you to come just across the hall to my room. The Swede must have decided that the hour of his death had come. His mouth dropped open and his teeth showed like a dead man's. He at last followed Scully across the hall, but he had the step of one hung in chains. Now, said the old man, and he dropped suddenly to the floor and he put his head beneath the bed. The Swede could hear his dulled voice. I'd keep it under my pillow if it weren't for that boy, Johnny. Where is it now? Oh, I never put it twice in the same place. Oh, there, there, now. Come out. Finally, he came out from under the bed, dragging with him an old coat. I've got it, he whispered. Still on the floor, on his knees, he unrolled the coat and took from it a large yellow-brown whiskey bottle. His first act was to hold the bottle up to the light. Hmm. Satisfied, apparently, that nobody had touched it, he pushed it with a generous movement toward the Swede. The weak-kneed Swede was about to eagerly grasp this element of strength, but he suddenly pulled his hand away and cast a look of terror upon Scully. Drink, said the old man in a friendly tone. He had risen to his feet and now stood facing the Swede. There was a silence. And then again, Scully said, drink. The Swede laughed wildly. He seized the bottle, put it to his mouth, and as his lips curled foolishly around the opening and his throat worked, he kept his glance burning with hate upon the old man's face. After the departure of Scully, the three men still at the table sat for a long moment in surprised silence. And then Johnny said, that is the worst man I ever saw. Oh, I don't know, replied the Easterner. Well, what do you think makes him act that way? Asked the cowboy. Hmm, he's frightened. The Easterner knocked his pipe against the stove. Mm-hmm, he's frightened right out of his senses. At what? Asked Johnny and the cowboy together. I don't know, but it seems to me this man has been reading those cheap novels about the West. And he thinks he's in the middle of it. The shooting and killing and all. Oh, said the cowboy, deeply shocked. This isn't a wild place. This is Nebraska. Yeah, added Johnny. And why doesn't he wait 
until he really gets out west. The traveled Easterner laughed. <laughs> Things aren't bad even there. Not in these days. But he thinks he's right in the middle of hell. <laughs> Johnny and the cowboy thought for a long while. Sure is strange, remarked Johnny at last. Yes, said the cowboy. This is a queer game. I hope we don't get a lot of snow, because then we'd have to have this man with us all the time. That, that wouldn't be any good. Soon they heard a loud noise on the stairs, accompanied by jokes in the voice of old Scully, and laughter evidently from the Swede. The men around the stove stared in surprise at each other. The door swung open, and Scully and the Swede came into the room. Five chairs were now placed in a circle about the stove. The Swede began to talk, loudly and angrily. Johnny, the cowboy, and the Easterner remained silent, while old Scully appeared to be eager and full of sympathy. Finally, the Swede announced that he wanted a drink of water. He moved in his chair and said that he would go and get some. Oh, no, I'll go get it for you, said Scully at once. No, refused the Swede roughly. I'll get it for myself. He got up and walked with the manner of an owner <laughs> into another part of the hotel. As soon as the Swede was out of the room, Scully jumped to his feet and whispered quickly to the others. Upstairs, he thought I was trying to poison him. Oh, this makes me sick, said Johnny. Why don't you throw him out in the snow? Oh, he's all right now, declared Scully. He was from the east and he thought this was a rough place. That's all. He's all right now. The cowboy looked with admiration upon the Easterner. You see there, you were right, he said. Well, said Johnny to his father, he may be all right now, but I don't understand it. Before he was afraid, and now he's too brave. Scully now spoke to his son. What do I keep? What do I keep? What do I keep? he demanded in a voice like thunder. He struck his knee sharply to indicate he himself was going to make the reply and that all should listen. I keep a hotel, he shouted. A hotel, do you hear? A guest under my roof has special privileges. He is not to be threatened. Not one word shall he hear that would make him want to go away. There is no place in this town where they can say they took in a guest of mine because he was afraid to stay here. He turned suddenly upon the cowboy and the Easterner. Am I right? Oh, yes, Mr. Scully, said the cowboy. I think you're right. Yes, Mr. Scully, said the Easterner. I think you're right. At supper that evening, the Swede burned with energy. He sometimes seemed on the point of bursting into loud song. And in all his madness, he was encouraged by old Scully. The Easterner was quiet, 
the cowboy sat in wide-mouthed wonder, forgetting to eat, while Johnny angrily finished great plates of food. The daughters of the house, when they were obliged to bring more bread, approached as carefully as rabbits. Having succeeded in their purpose, they hurried away with poorly hidden fear. The Swede controlled the whole feast, and he gave it the appearance of a cruel affair. He seemed to have grown suddenly taller. He gazed bitterly into every face. His voice rang through the room. After supper, as the men went toward the other room, the Swede hit Scully hard on the shoulder. Well, old boy, that was a good meal. Johnny looked hopefully at his father. He knew that the old man's shoulder was still painful from an old hurt, and indeed it appeared for a moment as if Scully were going to flame out in anger again. But Scully only smiled, a sickly smile, and remained silent. The others understood that he was admitting his responsibility for the Swede's new attitude. When they were gathered about the stove, the Swede insisted on another game of cards. In his voice, there was always a great threat. The cowboy and the Easterner both agreed, without interest, to play. Scully said that he would soon have to go to meet the evening train, and so the Swede turned to Johnny. Hmm. For a moment, their glances crossed like swords. And then Johnny smiled and said, Yes, I'll play. They formed a square around the table. The Easterner and the Swede again played together, and the game continued. It was noticeable that the cowboy was not playing as noisily as before. Scully left to meet the train. In spite of his care, an icy wind blew into the room as he opened the door. It scattered the cards and froze the players. The Swede cursed frightfully. And when Scully returned, his icy entrance interrupted a comfortable and friendly scene. The Swede cursed again. But soon, they were once more giving attention to their game, their heads bent forward and their hands moving fast. Scully took up a newspaper and he slowly turned from page to page and it made a comfortable sound. Then, suddenly, Scully heard three awful words. And that's the end of the episode. Please be sure you listen to the next episode for the conclusion. Good night.